Welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey friends and welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide. I am so happy that you are here today joining me once again. I am back in my kitchen, back in my podcast studio and today I have a wonderful guest with me whose name is Alex. Welcome to the podcast today, Alex. Thanks, Lisa. Happy to be here. I'm very glad that you're here today. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Yeah. Had a pretty good day. So yeah, ready to... Ready to get going. Ready to share. That's it. Lovely. You and I have met through the wonderful world of the internet, correct? Correct. Do you want to tell the story? Yes. um, (laughs) I was scrolling through podcasts um, Mm -hmm. as I listened to quite a lot on various topics and saw the name High Tide, Low Tide, and it just Mm -hmm. uh, captured me and seeing your podcast and seeing that it's, you know, it's about mental health and helping people and our local community. Mm -hmm. I, um, yeah, I have a story that I wanted to share and I thought this could be a great platform to, to share that story with. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful that you did reach out because then what happened was I'd gone down to Kane and Stefan's um event for man on purpose so um listeners may have heard both of their podcasts before and they were having a one-year anniversary um event down at henley beach and i walked down and stefan said to me oh somebody just said that they um had had reached out to you about the podcast and i have a horrible memory (laughs) and i'm like my brain like just went into overdrive immediately trying to think like who has messaged me? Because I hadn't even actually seen the message yet. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, who is it? And then I start like scanning the crowd, trying to like pick someone's face that I was recognizing. And I'm like, no, nah, this isn't happening. I don't know who it is and I'm going to feel awful. And, or I'm going to look straight at them and the, someone's going to think, oh, she's actually really rude in real life. <laughs> so yeah. naturally I went into panic mode. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, interestingly enough, I'd heard Kane and Stefan's podcasts and really got a lot from them. And then mm. I saw the man on purpose thing on Facebook. Yeah. And and then you mentioned on the podcast you were going down there. So I just thought, well, let's. Why not? Let's, yeah, let's, let's uh, reach out and, yeah. and see where it goes. So I think when, before the event um, started that day, I saw you sat, uh, sit down on, on the other side of me and I thought, oh. I think that's Lisa. I'm yeah. not 100% <laughs> sure. So I'll, I'll hope to bump into you after the event. Yeah, yeah definitely. And as a part of their event, what they do is, uh, well, I don't know if they do it every week, but that week everyone just had to stand up. So the first part of their um, like mornings together is about connection. So you stand up and it's just you look around and whoever you lock eyes with first, you go over and we had some conversation, like three minutes of getting to know each other. 
and they did that three times and that was really lovely and but we didn't lock eyes that no, morning no. so <laughs> but then the afterwards um obviously we had a conversation which was really lovely yes I was very grateful um for that so it was a lovely morning well done Kane and Stefan you're bringing yes. people together <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to just give the listeners just a little bit of an overview about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm, my name's Alex. I'm 45. Mm-hmm. I'm a loving family man. Mm-hmm. I enjoy fitness and keeping healthy and I work in uh, security. In yes. Yeah. Um, which is, it's been a great experience. And in 20, December 2019, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma unfavorable diagnosis so Mm -hmm. yeah and so maybe for anyone who doesn't know much about Hodgkin's lymphoma can you give us a little bit of a rundown sure Hodgkin's lymphoma is um, attacks all the lymph nodes Mm -hmm. um, within your body so I had early October 2019 I got out the shower one day and I noticed a lump on my neck Mm -hmm. just behind my collarbone and it looked like the size of a kiwi fruit I could just see it poking up under the skin yeah Yeah. and I thought wow what is this and it went away after a day or two and I thought oh maybe I was imagining it or something like that and then it appeared again so I thought I better go get this checked out Mm -hmm. so I in the lead up to that had you been feeling unwell at all as when I reflected on it for about six months beforehand I wasn't quite right Right, yeah. But not many things that you would say rush to the GP about, like I would get a lot of stomach upsets. Mm -hmm. I actually had zero tolerance to alcohol where, not that I'm a drinker really anyway, but I would have, say, a couple of drinks and get very bad stomach cramps. Oh, okay. And could not figure out why. Um, And I would also get skin rashes, which I used to get one on my leg and one on my forearm and they would burn and burn and burn. Oh, wow. Okay. So they obviously the symptoms weren't so bad that you thought I better go to the doctor. You just no. kind of lived with it at that yeah, point. Just, yeah, just I thought, yeah, I thought, okay, it's just, but, yeah, it was, it, they would come and go and they weren't frequent. So yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, though, like I think we, I know I do the same thing. Unless something's really bad, it's like, oh, just take a couple of Panadol and drink some water. Like I can remember growing up her mum's going to kill me because I always say this about <laughs> her. She's, my mum's a nurse and she's wonderful. Yeah, well. But, like, you know, as a kid, you know, I'd probably half the time be putting the sickness on, which she probably knew anyway. But I'd be like, oh, mum, my tummy hurts. And she'd say, oh, just have a glass of water. <laughs> like you just need a glass of water, you'll be fine. So I feel like that's transferred into, like, adulthood to a degree where, like, you just kind of get on with life if things aren't that bad. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does (laughs) because growing up my mum was always like, yeah, if something's not right, get it checked out. So when you think, oh, I've had an upset stomach for a couple of days or I've had this rash for a day, if if we did that all the time and went to the doctor for everything, Mm -hmm. well, we'd we'd be there every day. Well, yeah, Yeah. that's true. Yeah, you know, like... (laughs) The GPs are overrun enough (laughs) as it is. (laughs) But, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, so it wasn't until, yeah, I saw the lump a second time and then it was like I've got to to get this checked out. Yeah. Yeah. Was it painful, It wasn't painful. I could feel it, but it it didn't feel like it was there. And, 
yeah, it, it didn't bother me at all. Okay. So then you made an appointment to see the GP? Made an appointment to see my GP. Yeah. She she had a feel around and she mm-hmm. said, oh, it's probably a lipoma, like fatty tissue lumps that we, okay. we sometimes get. I've had a couple of those yeah. removed previously. But just to be on the safe side, let's do an ultrasound and, and see how we go. Okay. And so how quickly did you get in to have the ultrasound? I had the ultrasound uh, a couple of days later. Yeah. Then saw the GP a week later. Mm-hmm. And... She sat down and she says, it's not a lipoma. And I said, okay, what does that necessarily mean? And she just looked at me and she says, prepare yourself for the fact that you could have cancer. And I was just, I was shocked. I've just said, I can't have cancer. I said, like, I'm healthy. I'm not a drinker. I'm not a smoker. I'm, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not something that would happen to me. Yeah. But we learn quickly that cancer doesn't discriminate. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Did you, like, just listening to you say that, I feel like I was punched in the gut. Like, you know, like how, like, had you even had that thought enter into your mind previously to that? No. Did not, was not a consideration, not a thought. If anything, I thought it was, yeah, a lipoma or perhaps yeah. a reaction to something or... Yeah. Yeah, it was. It would have been the last thing I would have thought could have been okay. the case. Yeah. And then hearing her say those words to you, what happened? Like, how did you react to that? I went straight into denial. Mm. You know, it was very much, no, she's wrong. This can't be right. Mm-hmm. Do I get another opinion? What happens next? I've got to wait for another appointment to to have another ultrasound, to have a blood test. So blood mm-hmm. tests were being organised and further scans moving forward. Yeah. So right now we're like a week and a half after the first GP appointment. Yeah. So within the space of like 10 days or so, you went from having a lump to being told potentially it could be cancer. Yes. So then she would have had to refer you to another doctor or what happened then? I I had a blood test. Okay. The blood test didn't show anything. Okay. And so at that point, did you feel relieved? No, because I didn't have an answer. Okay. Yeah. So then I had a biopsy appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had another scan, perhaps a CT scan before I had the biopsy. Okay. So it, it was having the appointments, but the hardest thing with it all is waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got to have a doctor's appointment or a or a specialist appointment, you've got a week to two-week wait. So I went and had the CT scan mm-hmm. and the CT scan was inconclusive. Oh, my God. That didn't come back with anything. So back to the GP again. Let's organise a biopsy for you. And the biopsy was one of the most probably emotional days in the initial part. Okay. I had to go... Um, hospital. I never had a biopsy before, so not really sure mm-hmm. what to expect. So I've laid down on the bed. They've given me the local. They're, they're scraping around the lump and everything as they do. It's slightly uncomfortable. Mm. And the doctor I had, she was lovely. But mm-hmm. as she as she left the room, she just turned around, looked at me and just 
looked like was a bit of a sigh and just said, good luck. And that just sent me into meltdown. I was just, I was an absolute mess. I didn't know, it just screamed bad news to me. Yeah. I walked to my car and I think I just sat in my car for what seemed like half an hour just bawling my eyes out. Like really yeah. didn't know how to take it, what's going on. I don't have a clear diagnosis on anything but just that was the first initial point is to think this could be real. Yeah. And I think what often happens with with things like this or like, you know, when you're unsure is that you were probably keeping it really well together up until that point and that takes a lot of energy even if you don't realise that you're doing it. Like your body keeping yourself in that state of like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I just need to get through this. I think that probably... And please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just talking about you here. But, like, you know, I feel like you you would have been keeping yourself and using all that energy just to be, quote, unquote, okay. Having her turn around and say that, good luck, would have just been like, the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Exactly. It opened up the floodgates and now everything's going to come out and release. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was, I sort of gave along because I had a, a two-month wait in mm-hmm. the whole process before I actually got my diagnosis. Wow. So eight weeks of tests, scans, biopsies, and in the end operation to remove the lump before everything was con- uh, confirmed. But yeah. that two-month gap there was terrible. Yeah. It was what probably saved me a lot going through that was, was counselling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'd started to see someone during that time. I had. When I first got told I could have cancer, I reached out to contacts at work who said to me, contact our EAP service, Employee yes. Assistance Program. Yeah, that's fantastic that they have that. Oh, it, was, it was brilliant. And yeah. to make that phone call initially was so hard mm. because I don't know, do most of us think that reaching out to counselling means um you know, I'm not okay, like I feel defeated, like I, this this is something I might not or don't think I need to do, like mm. how, how can these people help me? Mm-hmm. But to make the call on that day and the person that I spoke to helped put my mind at ease mm. as, as to say he was telling me that you don't have cancer yet, this isn't confirmed. Yeah. So until you actually hear you have cancer, like situation normal. Yeah, and almost just bringing you back to like the present, I suppose, and just living with what we know Yeah. rather than being um, worried at that point about the future and what we don't know yet. Yeah, he he more or less kept me in the moment as to say, yeah, yeah, until something is confirmed, Mm-hmm. Like, don't worry about the what ifs, because mm-hmm. when we worry about what ifs, it's oh. it brings on so much yeah. more stress and drama to our lives Absolutely. with situations and things that haven't even happened, but we think they could happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the call that day was a breath of fresh air. Um, then, before I started um, sitting down with a counsellor, which went through my whole treatment. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. this first call, so how far into the journey were you? Because you said it took two months for diagnosis. How far into that did you make the call? Not long after I was told I could have cancer. Oh, that, like I'm just like, uh, like you can probably see it on my face in yeah. that like I'm almost a little bit of shock but in a good way because yeah. it usually people seem to wait a lot longer when they shouldn't yeah. to reach out for that help. So I'm like so proud of you. <laughs> like <laughs> well you, done. Like yeah. I'm like honestly because a lot of people do wait longer than they should to yeah. to reach out for that help. And what do you think I guess helped helped you with that? Like why do you think you reached out so early? Was there someone encouraging? Yeah, it was. Or did you just know that it felt right and that you needed to do that? It it felt right that it was something that I should pursue mm-hmm. because thinking if I have to go through this, like how can I do it? Like I, I had no answers mm-hmm. at this time and was given a potential pre-diagnosis as such. So how do I move forward? I had to... Mm. try and find a way that would help. Coping. Yeah, Yeah, some way to cope in the meantime. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, well done. I'm very proud of you for (laughs) reaching out. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd gone in and you'd had the biopsy. Yeah. What happened next? Went back to my GP to get the biopsy results Mm -hmm. and the biopsy results were inconclusive because they didn't get any cancer cells. Okay. So... And obviously I haven't been what you've been through what you've been through. But like did that make you very frustrated that you like obviously you're like there'd be a part of you that's like okay I'm glad I have come in I've come in and they haven't said yes you have cancer. But on the flip side of that there would be I imagine an immense frustration around but what is it then like what, yeah. you know give me an answer. Did it feel like that? It did like my question to the GP then was as to say, I have a lump. Mm-hmm. If you can't find out what it is, can we just remove it? And then if it's not cancer, then I can wipe <laughs> my wipe hands, our hands and, at that. <laughs> and, and get on with my life. Yeah. Um, and she sort of gave me a bit of a funny look. Yeah. And started mentioning lymphoma. Yeah. And then I thought, what's lymphoma? Didn't really know much about it. I'd heard of it. Mm-hmm. So she says, well, I'm going to refer you to a surgeon. I said, okay. So I had to wait another week or so yeah. to get in to see the surgeon and sat down with this doctor and he says, yep, looking at your scans, yep, I should be able to get in and scoop that out. Not a problem. And then we can test it. Mm-hmm. I've said, okay. He says, how do you feel about surgery? I said, look, I've had surgery before. Don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I said, I just want to answer. And then... He says, yeah, okay, well, uh, we can possibly, we, we can do that. We can start looking at, you know, lymphoma. And I've just said, look, I have a question for you. What's to say you remove the lump, everything's fine, and I get on with my life? Then he looks at me sideways. And, yeah, he stares at me for a second and he says, when we start talking lymphoma, there's possible treatment that could have to be had after this. And I've said, well, why are you talking about lymphoma? I don't have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, when we remove the lump, we will get it fully tested. Then we will 100% be able to say yes or no 
that yeah. it's cancer. Okay. All right. So then they removed it. Then they removed it. I yeah. finally got into hospital where they have the lump removed. Mm-hmm. After surgery, I had to wait another week and a half to go see the doctor for my results. Okay. And was it just a day surgery? Or? It was a day surgery. Yeah. I was, yeah. I think I was in at about seven. I was out by about 11.30. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't long at all. Um, that is fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just like said that back in my head then. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So a week was, and a half after that though. Week and a half after. So I'd still been, I'd been seeing counselling up Great. still through this um, process mm-hmm. and we were getting at the point where I was discussing with my psychologist, say, if we have a diagnosis, what happens? Yeah. And she was, she was giving me coping strategies all the way through as to say, worry about what is happening now. Don't worry about what is happening two weeks' time mm-hmm. or anything like that. How do you feel? How are you today? Where's your mindset at? Let's work on that. Yeah. If and when we have a diagnosis, then we'll work with that moving forward. Mm-hmm. So the day came where I was getting my results. Okay. I was numb. Yeah. I didn't really... I, I was starting to accept that it could be cancer. In the back of my mind I knew mm. but didn't want to fully accept it because of conversations that I'd had with doctors leading up to this point. So I was thinking if I do have it, what do I do? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So my thought process was we'll see what it is and go from there. Yeah. So, so it, was it was a big day. It was a big day. Yeah. So Alex has been so kind as to share with me some journals that you kept um, throughout this whole process. And as a fellow avid journaler, I'm very appreciative of that. Um, And he said that it's okay for me to read a passage out of that, which I picked out because I thought it was very um, powerful. And so I'm going to read that now. And that this is from the 5th of December, 2019, um, which is the day we're talking about just now, correct? Correct. All right. So the day I found out I have cancer, I didn't want anyone to come with me to my appointment, something I just wanted to do myself, not too sure why. I didn't want anyone else to have to hear the news from the doctor. I preferred people to hear it from me and my reaction. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. For what it is, doctors told me they predict a strong outcome. I knew nothing of the disease at the time. I had a lovely nurse in the room with me and the doctor. Her name was Heather, someone who truly has a passion for what she does and for people. She helped me so much during that initial diagnosis. Lots of tears and emotion. What really helped was having someone there to let the feelings out. What was harder than hearing that I have cancer was telling my wife and children that I have cancer. They took it hard initially, but were all going on how my emotions were. So this thought helped set my mindset. One of my first words was thank you. Thank you for a diagnosis, an answer, a step forward to a journey 
to make me better. Thank you to accept the fact that I have cancer. Without acceptance, I can't move forward. With acceptance, I own this diagnosis. I accept what it is and the fact that I have to take whatever steps necessary to beat this. That is my mindset. I'm just so moved by this passage and just how, you know, on this day when you've had this very large news, you've essentially, you know, made a bit of a decision about how you were going to deal with it. Is that right? Exactly. Leading up to that point, I was thinking life's not all about me. Mm -hmm. I've got a family that I love. And if this is a hurdle in the road, moving forward, how do I handle this? Mm-hmm. What's my mindset going to be? Am I going to be take everything on board and run with it or am I going to woe is me? Yeah, yeah. That was and having Heather in the room that day, like this is just a nurse that truly loves what she does. So yeah. I'm just going to give a shout out to all nurses right now because the job that they do is amazing and I don't believe they get enough credit and recognition for what they do. Definitely agreed. Yeah. yeah. So she took me into a room and hugged me for about 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Because she loves what she does. Yeah. And that was helping a complete stranger that had just received a diagnosis and you don't meet many people like that along the way. Yeah. So that was, and throughout my journey, I was very thankful for the people that Mm -hmm. helped me out along the way. Absolutely. Which hospital was Heather at? Let's find her. Queen Elizabeth. (laughs) So if anyone in Adelaide who is listening to this episode knows Heather at the QEH, we want to know who she is. We're going to take her out for drinks. Yes. Coffee. Or which, no, which are we going for? You tell me. Coffee. 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 Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, obviously this was a a life-changing day for you, right? To a degree. Yeah. Yeah. How, I mean, I've obviously just read what you've written down. Was that a very accurate representation for how you felt at the time? Or what was it like getting that diagnosis? It answered a lot of questions, mm. which I was happy for. I actually remember saying to my psychiatrist before the diagnosis leading up to it, one thing she commented on me was how calm I was. She was surprised I was very calm. Mm-hmm. I'd had my moments, don't get me wrong. Of course. But I was, I just thought to myself, I'm just sort of numb towards the fact with waiting on a diagnosis, I'm not worrying about the what ifs. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, I couldn't move forward until that diagnosis had actually mm. come. So that's why saying thank you to the doctor once receiving the diagnosis was me 100% accepting what I was going to go through. Yeah. So where I wanted to channel my energy was all towards the positive. Mm-hmm. Anything not accepting was negative mm-hmm. energy. I just love this mindset. Like and I like I imagine you know it would be quite difficult for a lot of people to have that mindset in a moment like this. Absolutely. But I'm um, just like, yeah, in order, obviously, you were able to have that. 
where do you think this mindset came from? Like, where did you learn that? Or have you always been really positive thinking? I haven't always been really positive thinking. The mindset change possibly came. Years ago, I was a victim of workplace bullying. Right. Which really probably going on 12, 13 years ago. Okay. I changed jobs and went to a place that was a very, it was a toxic work culture. And within a three-month period while I was there, I went from normal happy me to an absolute shell. Wow. So it was obviously quite bad. It was very bad. Yeah. I left with, you know, a night in the emergency room thinking I was going to have a heart attack. My goodness. That was from like stress levels, anxiety and whatnot. Stress, anxiety, panic attacks. Oh, my goodness. All stemming from a a workplace bullying. Yeah. Wow. How awful. Like I just don't get people when they're like that. No. No, it was, yeah, something that was just completely shocking. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, this place had a high turnover of people and Mm. it it was a culture that was accepted at this time. Right. Uh, sink or swim. Okay. Almost. So during that period you were able to find some tools that helped you in, I guess, mindset? After everything had happened. Yeah. Yeah, it took me a while to to sort of learn tools Yeah. to sort of work on me where I'd come from this experience and thinking I'd left this job just before Christmas. I had nothing to go to. I've got a mortgage. I have a family. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? So work came up again and I went through a similar experience. Um, A second time? A second time. At a different workplace? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, it was... (laughs) It was a place I'd worked at before. Okay. Um, but yeah, not that that just, makes any excuse. Not that it does makes it? any excuse, but leaving that, it really made me think: what do I need to work on? Mm-hmm. So my initial my initial thought was: as long as my family is okay, that's all that matters. And of course, my family first and foremost is number one priority always. Yeah. But. It took me a while to learn if I'm not okay, how is my family going to be okay? So that's when I had started to look within is to go, what's, what's bothering me? What's upsetting me? What's causing me anxiety? Mm-hmm. One th- big massive thing was I'd worried about what people thought of me. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that would stem in my own head as to say, I've sent this piece of work to this somebody. Do they like it? Do they not? They haven't replied back to me. Okay. I said yeah. good morning to this person. I didn't get a nice mm. reply. Like, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah. Um, it was really, it was hard to sort of turn that around. Yeah. Until I saw a news story. Okay. Yeah. Of a gentleman named Paul de Gelder. Right. He was. Navy clearance diver who was attacked by a shark in Sydney Harbour in 2009. Okay, yeah. And lost a leg and an arm, a shark yeah. attack. 
And I was just um, attracted to Paul's story. Yeah. And uh, one of the comments I saw of him in an interview was, he's laying here in a bed with a missing leg and half an arm. What life do I want? Do I want a happy life or do I not want a happy life? And he chose he wanted a happy life. And I started thinking to myself, there's people like him and several others that have done so many awesome things with cards that they've been dealt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what happens to us that defines us. It's how we handle it that defines us. So that was a turning point for me at the time is to, is to start to look within and to build that positive mindset. Yeah. That's a very nice life. But, like, I really like that story in terms of, like, you're right. Like, we can all be so, like, woe is me and, you know, get very carried away in our own heads. Like, I'm definitely someone who does that, like, put my own hand up. But being able to look at people who've been able to change their mindset around and then sort of take something away from that and start working on it yourself, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it was just something that um, it really helped me is to look mm-hmm. to look at me and to look at, judge myself honestly and then to look at me within, say, the third person, to look from a distance. Mm. And self-reflection is still something I do today. Absolutely. I, I looked at another person, a guy named David Goggins, who's mm-hmm. a former Navy SEAL. Okay, yeah. Um, he's an ultra marathoner now and fitness. <laughs> so he's very fit. <laughs> he's very, very fit. And... He mentioned something called the what was me effect. Okay. Which is power versus defeat. Yeah. He, to become a Navy SEAL and to, to join at that elite level, it's training the mindset to always see the positive in every situation. Ah. Does he have a book? Because I could probably read that. He's, he's just released his <laughs> second book. Yeah. Uh, his first book was called Can't Hurt Me. It was actually a very good read. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely have to look it up because I do believe that very much. So like how much power there is in mindset, just being able to look at a situation and choose, you know, it's the cup half full versus half empty type effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're so right in what you said before about like obviously your family is so important and you know you say like number one but if you're not looking after yourself and if you're not healthy and if you're not happy and you've got nothing left inside how can you give to anybody else so exactly being able to like recognize that and then go away and start doing the work on yourself that's amazing yeah oh, thank you it's, <laughs> and it's 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 not something that's done overnight. No, like no. And definitely not. It's it's something I've been working on with me for years. Yeah. It's yeah. like I I'm not a perfect person. I don't have all the answers to None life of us or are, are you we? know or anything like that, but it's yeah. it's just me just trying to be the best version of me I can yeah. for me and the people that matter most to me. Absolutely. So obviously like doing that work in the past when you'd gone through um, these experiences in the workplaces, that was a very, I guess, handy tool to have maybe had under your belt at a time where you're now about to start going through, um, you've been diagnosed with cancer and then looking at what's next, right? Exactly. With receiving my diagnosis and starting chemotherapy was a very, very quick process. 
That's it's, good, though, oh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, no time to process. <laughs> We're just going to go in here. Yeah, it was the 5th of December 2019 when I had my diagnosis yeah. and I got a call a few days later from the Royal Adelaide Hospital. The, my health nurse there, which basically was saying, you've, you've seen this oncologist mm-hmm. um, on this date and he's looked at all your results and everything. So you've got two dates where you can start chemotherapy, the 23rd of December or the 30th of December. You can't wait any longer than the 30th. So okay. we need to get onto this. Wow. Very quickly. Yeah. So I chose the 23rd of December. Yeah. Okay. I've, yeah, it was, let's do it. Yeah. And what, what was chemo like for you? How long was, how many sessions, how long? Yeah, I did four months of chemotherapy, so yeah. two sessions per cycle, a monthly cycle, and then you uh, mm-hmm. a chemo treatment once every fortnight. Yeah. The chemo was hard. Right. Chemo is very, very hard. Affects everyone differently. Definitely had the physical fatigue, mm-hmm. soreness. I used to get bad stomach pains, mm-hmm. very, very bad stomach pains from um, chemotherapy but the mental, the mental fatigue and a condition called chemo brain affected me quite severely, which is like mm-hmm. uh, brain fog. Yeah. So trying to, trying to actually focus on a thought and then put concepts together, it's just a constant battle. Right. And so when you would have um, the chemo, mm-hmm. you would, would the side effects be at their worst for the like a couple of days following and then they would start to wear off until the next time? Yeah, it's every two-week chemo cycle you learn your patterns every day more or less becomes the same. Okay. So the night of my first chemo I felt very sick mm-hmm. and symptoms started to come on quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I remember laying in bed the first night. It was probably, nighttime was probably the hardest for me. Because that's when everything stops and all I'm left with is my own thoughts. Right. So my first night of, of chemo, I've gone home, I felt sick. The hospital gives you plenty of anti-nausea medication mm-hmm. if you need, which thankfully I didn't really have to take mm-hmm. a great deal of. So I remember laying there that night and I'm thinking to myself, is this going to take me now or not? Will I wake up in the morning? That was thoughts going through my head. Wow. So. And that's like, it's so awful, like laying there at night, like when you don't have any distraction and your brain is just like running rampant, I can imagine. Like, what do you do? Like, did you just keep laying there until you fell asleep? Yeah. So just like stuck in those thoughts. I was stuck in those thoughts and I thought to myself, I wake up in the morning it's game on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to fight this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I can every day to do my best to, to beat this. Yeah. So leading up to treatment, I remember saying to my wife, life isn't going to change. We'll have some changes, mm-hmm. but our life will not dramatically change to how, how we are. Mm-hmm. It's, as I told my kids, you probably see dad sitting on the couch maybe a bit more than he normally does. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so, but leading up into everything, 
of that point, like I still think the hardest thing through the whole treatment, the whole chemo, radiation, everything, the hardest thing was seeing tears running down my wife's face as she walked in the door the day I got my diagnosis. Yeah. That was just... Yeah. Seeing her so upset was just terrible. Yeah. Because it's one thing to feel your own pain, yeah. but when it's someone else's pain and you can't really do anything to alleviate that pain she would have been feeling at that time. No, no. And that's where I, you know, I wanted to do everything within my power to make sure that everyone around me was okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and that was one thing I fed off a lot through all my treatment. If the people around me were okay, then Mm -hmm. I was okay. Yeah. Kept you going. Yeah. 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 So what other symptoms did you have with the chemo? Every muscle, every joint hurt. Okay. It was, yeah, the doctors would say you really know when you can't do much and Mm -hmm. they were absolutely right. It's Some days it was actually hard to put into words where my normal two-week chemo cycle would be, I had chemo on a Monday. Yep. So I'd get to the hospital around 11 o'clock. They'd hook you up to the drip and then you run all your medication for about three to four hours. Then Monday night I'd get home and I'd feel really ill Monday night. So I'd go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, then Tuesday I'd wake up, I'd go to work. Um, you went to work? I worked all the way through. Oh, my goodness. I just, yeah. I just must have missed that in my <laughs> in conversation before. I didn't realise so just the Mondays you would have off, just I, chemo day. Just chemo days I had Oh, my off. goodness. Yeah, it was, it was one good thing with work at the time because I was with my same company. I'd started in a new role, mm-hmm. was a week into my new role, and my boss said to me, how's your first week been? I said, mm-hmm. oh, it's been great, but by the way, I've just found out that I could have cancer. Mm. So, and look, I had tremendous support from my company and and everyone around me, like massive shout out to everyone that helped me at that time. I was working with a whole bunch of people I didn't really know and Mm -hmm. a a new role that I'd never been in before and the support and help that everyone around me was willing to do so much for me was just amazing. People are good out there, aren't they? People are. Yeah. 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 So you were in these two-week cycles, obviously, and you were still working. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Also, just side note, tangent, I only like just realised in our conversation earlier that you could have chemo different ways because I was saying my friend Zoe, who's also been on the podcast, she talked about Mm -hmm. her um, breast cancer um, journey. She had a port that she had the chemo into and but you just had a straight IV, correct? Yeah, a straight IV yeah. into my arm. Yeah, I didn't realise that there was that you could have it in different ways. Also, that there's different types of chemo. There's I learnt that this year. Oh, uh, several yeah. several different types of chemo. Like I was that ABVD, I think my acronyms were for the treatment. Yeah. Don't ask me what they were. I didn't actually um, research what they were or anything like that because Yeah. One thing I decided to do was to not really study or research yeah. about my diagnosis. Yeah. I'd, I'd reached out to the Cancer Council and they had sent me so many books 
of information I had a stack and then I started reading one, read a paragraph and I just started having so much anxiety of saying it affects all your internal organs, it affects your liver, it can affect your kidneys, your spleen. Yeah. Everything. We're just going to close that booklet back up (laughs) and just put that away for now. So um, channeling my mindset was was to say I'm not going to read anything about it. Mm -hmm. So that inspired me and I said to my oncologist, I am going to put every ounce of trust in you. Yeah. This is your specialty area, not mine. Yeah. What my requirement is, I rock up every day to treatment. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, when I'm required there, I'll be there ready to go mm-hmm. and do what I have to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to sign a waiver um, first off to undertake radiation therapy. Yeah. And some people choose not to. Um, to do radio. To do radiation. Yeah. Yeah. I decided to do it because the doctor determined that that would like basically kill off all the cancer. Right. Seal yeah. the deal as such. Yeah. Um, even though there is always um, a chance that it can come back. Yeah. So I'd done my first chemotherapy about, yeah, I was, I was feeling quite ill the first night. Then I wasn't too bad the next day. Mm-hmm. So when I, every morning when I go, got up, the first thing I said was, this is happening for me, mm-hmm. not to me. It's not wearing me down. This is happening for me to get yeah. to a remission date. Yeah. So that was the first thing I said to myself every morning. That's a powerful so, mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would be about three or four days in after chemo then the pain and fatigue would really start to hurt. It would really settle in. Okay, yeah. It's... So it's almost delayed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it gets, it's delayed for a couple of days, then slowly you go downhill. So the following weekend I was in a lot of physical pain. Mm. Moving around was... I could walk around but I get tired very easily. Yeah. And uh, everything would, um, yeah, just really hurt and ache. Okay. So yeah. then you would slowly start to pick up. So by about a week and a half after chemo, I'd slowly yeah. start to pick up again. Just in time for chemo again. Yeah. So the Saturday <laughs> or Sunday on. before your next chemo, you actually feel semi-normal. Oh, that yeah. That was sort of the way I could describe it. The brain yeah. fog would ease slightly. I could think clearly to somewhat. Mm-hmm. And then Monday morning, bang, they hit you again. Yeah. So going through that two-week cycle, I knew what to expect every day, but I still took everything day by day. Yeah. Because some weeks you, f- you feel a bit different. Of course, And yeah. as chemo goes on, it gets harder. Yeah. Okay. Everything intensifies. Yeah, yeah. So how many sessions of chemo did you have? Sorry. I had eight chemo eight. sessions, so yeah, four yeah. months' worth. Yeah. Because my diagnosis... A couple of ways how they diagnose Hodgkin's is favourable and unfavourable. That is determined by how many lymph nodes are affected. Yeah. So I think if I think if it's three lymph nodes affected or under, they deem it as favourable where you might only need a couple of months of chemotherapy. Okay. Where I had about eight lymph nodes affected. Okay. There was three in my neck and I think I had five around the top of my heart. Okay, that yeah. That were... So you were deemed unfavourable. Yes. Right. 
Oh, yeah. That's just like, do we really need another set of like words that are scary in that time? Like yeah, to be it's... to learn first of all, you've got cancer, and then being told, well, there is a favourable one, but you've got the unfavourable one. Yeah, oh, great, thank yeah, you. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's Hodgkin's works differently is to say if they diagnose you at a stage three or stage four Hodgkin's. It's not the same as, say, a stage three or four breast or bowel cancer. Okay. How so? It's Hodgkin's is very, very manageable. Okay. They know how to treat it. It's one of those cancers that it's deemed as to say if you're going to get cancer, it's the good one to get. Okay. So I had that put to me many times and first off I, I was thinking... What's good about cancer? Yeah. Fuck There's you. <laughs> really? Yeah. But I know what people are meaning when they yeah. when they say that. People are meaning like, oh, lucky that you've got this, you know. And look, ultimately at the end of the day, we roll a dice every mm-hmm. day in our lives. Mm-hmm. So at this point in my life, I rolled a dice and I got cancer. Yeah. I was lucky that I got one that was very treatable, very manageable, but we still have to go through it. Absolutely. We've yeah. got to go through the, the waiting of a diagnosis. We have to go through our treatment. We have to go through radiation. Then we have mm-hmm. to wait for an outcome and mm-hmm. then see what happens after that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like, obviously, you know, you're going, you've been through this process with the diagnosis, you've had your chemo and you're about to start um, radio. So you, you've been able to maintain a, a pretty good mindset throughout that. I imagine things would have been up and down. I'm sure that they weren't always up. No. How was your mental health throughout that period? My mental health was really, it was up and down. Yeah. A lot of it would depend on how I'd feel physically. Yeah. And and they're so intertwined, aren't they? Like oh, physical absolutely. and mental health, like realistically. Yeah, I was I was thankful for all the positive people I had around me. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife and children were amazing. Mm-hmm. Our friends were amazing. Friends are cooking us meals and bringing us around yeah. meals for us because you know I couldn't do much and was so busy. Everyone at my workplace was so supportive and mm-hmm. gave me all the tools and everything I needed to help get through this so I didn't have a burden mm-hmm. on me in that sense. And everyone, you know, with um, the gym I was going to, mm-hmm. everyone in all my social circles, everyone was just fantastic. So that was, it was just reassuring mm-hmm. to know that it was all, it was all there. Yeah. But I decided to, two emotions when going through treatment. One was a game face. So I thought to myself as to say, a lot of people do a lot of things in life. So people go out and give speeches to to masses, like people are athletes on a sporting field, people are boxers that step into a ring to get their lights punched out. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. what's one thing that everyone does? They put on a game face. Yes. Whether how scared they are or not, mm-hmm. you put on that face. So every time I walked into a doctor's appointment, every time I walked into a chemo session, I put on that game face yeah. regardless of how I was feeling inside. I had days where I couldn't put a thought together. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to do certain things. I didn't want to go to appointments. But I put on that game face because that's yeah. that's what I promised myself I would do. Mm-hmm. And when I needed to have a moment, mm-hmm. I called it downtime. I yeah. usually did that on my own. I remember sitting working from home one day and I was just, 
I was the only one in the house. I had the laptop on the lounge. I was doing a few work bits and pieces and and I just got so overwhelmed. Yeah. I just started bawling my eyes out. Mm-hmm. I put my computer to the side and I just cried my eyes out for about half an hour. Mm-hmm. I had no idea why. It was just one of those days. So yeah. sometimes with emotion, we just need to let it happen. We can't fight it. Sometimes we just mm-hmm. need to let it out. And I did that, mm-hmm. got myself together and mm-hmm. carried on working again. Did you feel better for getting it out? I did. Yeah. Yeah, and did yeah. that many, many times. Mm-hmm. Talking about it was one thing that helped me mm-hmm. also. I had no problem talking about my diagnosis or what I was going through and mm-hmm. people would say to me, I hear you're not well. And I'd say, well, a great complexion and no eyebrows. Yeah, everyone has that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, you obviously put these sort of coping mechanisms into place, whether you realised it or not, like the game yeah. face and the being yeah. able to have time to just relax. And what was the term that you used? Game face and... Downtime. Downtime, thank you. <laughs> so that obviously helped. And yeah. During that time, you were still seeing the um, counsellor? All the way through. The whole way through. How yeah. often were you seeing them? Because you we, went to in-person, didn't in you? In-person, yeah. yeah. I was seeing um, weekly and I think once I'd finished chemotherapy, I started seeing fortnightly. Yeah. So there was the interesting pandemic of COVID-19 that came Correct. into this as well. Yes, yeah, early the next year. <laughs> so how do you think... Seeing that the counsellor, how do you think that um, helped you? It helped me tremendously because going to counselling wasn't one of those things where you lay down on a comfy lounge and they feed you all these positive (laughs) thoughts and you Mm -hmm. walk out feeling refreshed and ready to take on the world. It was was actually confronting. And when I say that, I mean that in a good sense Mm -hmm. where I was challenged on my thought processes Mm -hmm. as why I was worried about what might happen, am I going to die? Mm-hmm. That was my initial thought when I got a diagnosis is am I going to die? And I was called out a lot on that. Mm-hmm. What supporting evidence do you have that you are going to die? None. Yeah. Why are yeah. you worrying about it then? Mm-hmm. Um, and coping mechanisms as, as to calm yourself down when to feel overwhelmed. So one thing my counsellor got me to do was She'd give me a sheet of paper and she'd say, okay, write out a problem and I'd write a problem down. What if this could happen or something I was facing at the time? And she'd say, what are the factors that attribute to this problem? What's the evidence of this problem? Mm -hmm. And what other supporting factors contribute to this problem? And when you write everything down, the problem's not as bad as what you might think. That's very true because I think like when it's just swirling around in your brain and you're just letting it fester in there and going over and over and again, you believe it and it becomes bigger. But to actually have to write it out on a piece of paper and look at it in front of your eyes, in front of your face, and then have to provide evidence as to why that's true, that's a great tool to use when we're trying to, I guess, like diffuse a... Uh, thought we might be having yeah that's a good one and it really helped it Mm -hmm. was something as to analyze so many different things going on Mm. and 
I actually sorted out so many other demons mm. going through this mm-hmm. this process. It was it was just saved me. Yeah. You know, it was a massive saviour. Mm. I wouldn't have probably gotten through treatment so well if I didn't have counselling support um, going through that, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely if anyone feels that they need that support, make a call. Mm-hmm. It's There's nothing wrong with making a call. Even if it's one session over the phone you have with somebody that can put your mind at ease or give you some tools that will help you mm-hmm. get over whatever you're going through at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely recommend. Definitely. I very much agree. <laughs> so we finished chemo. We went on to radio. Went to radiation. And Radiation, yeah. And that long went for how long? That went for three weeks. Okay. So that was every day, Monday to Friday, for mm-hmm. three weeks. Okay. And that is when you're in like a big, how would you describe it? You, you've been there. You tell us. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Gosh, yeah, you're in a big room. It's you're lying on a, on a bed with a, a circular tube sitting right above your head, mm-hmm. and because I was getting radiation on my neck and my chest, I had to have a mask molded to my head and neck. Mm-hmm. So when I lay down on the bed, I was I was clamped down. So so you don't move. So right? you don't move yeah. because there's individual marks all over the mask where the radiation beam has to hit. Oh, of course, yeah. So that's how they measure everything up. Mm-hmm. So when I was clamped down on this mask, it was so tight, I could just open my right eye and just breathe. It I was... just feel like like if you had claustrophobia or like fear, any kind of fear of small space, or even if you didn't, I imagine that wouldn't have been very pleasant. Oh, like... Initially it was, it was a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, the first couple of days of it was just like, wow, I don't know if I can cope with this, but going through that, mm-hmm. the side effects were far less harsh than chemotherapy. Okay. Far yeah. less harsh. Okay. Where one day the machine got stuck, they had issues with it, and I was clamped down to the bench for about half an hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> As opposed to how long? Ten minutes. Okay. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's what I start. I'm starting to, like, yeah. Please get me out of this, but yeah, yeah. the The side effects from radiation was really, I'd feel very lightheaded, yeah, and felt like my head and neck was sunburnt. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they give you plenty of cream to moisturising cream to mm-hmm. to help that, but it was still had elements of fatigue, mm-hmm. but was really, yeah, not as harsh as chemo. Where finishing up chemo, I had to take sedation drugs. 24 hours before my chemo session to stop me from feeling nauseous. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It was. It's been a long process. Very long. So radio happened. Radio happened. Then what? I I had to wait six weeks to find out whether everything had worked. Okay. So that was the so, end of treatment. That was the end of that treatment. That was the end of treatment, so, celebration. Celebration, that's one hurdle out the way. Then I had an appointment with my oncologist and he said we will do a PET scan in a couple of weeks. So I think along the process I probably had three or four PET scans, a couple before 
chemotherapy. What's a PET scan for a pet, anyone a pet scan like me who doesn't know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a, a CT scan. Okay. Um, where it checks every organ from your neck to basically your knees. Okay. Um, so you lay in the tube and you go all yeah. the way through and it captures But your everything. head's out. Your head's out. Okay. So you've got to lay on the bed with your arms behind okay. your head. Yeah. And beforehand you hooked up to an IV drip for an hour to an hour and a half beforehand because cancer cells react to sugar. Oh. So, so they're pumping you full of sugar? They're pumping me full of sugar, oh, full of saline. Okay. So it's actually the first time I had to have the PET scan was quite intimidating because you're sitting in a recliner chair in the hospital and then you hooked up to the drip. And then the nurse comes in and fires in a shot of radiation. So they push the trigger on the machine and they run out the room. Oh, okay. So you think, oh my goodness. what's going on yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then um, when they look at the PET scan results, mm-hmm. the cancer cells will go crazy to the saline. Okay. So whatever measures they use to test that, that's how they determine cancer right. cells. Okay. So... You had finished treatment. Yes. And then you had to wait. Six weeks. Six weeks. How did that feel? Did it feel like 60 weeks or? It felt like the longest time. Mm. It was It was hard to come to terms with finishing treatment and then starting to adjust to being normal again. Mm. So it was just really, I didn't know how to get out of the routine mm-hmm. because my routine for pretty well six months mm-hmm. was chemo session once a fortnight, blood test twice a week, PET scan once a month, oncologist appointments. Other than that, several medications to take every day and anything else that It really does take up. over your life while you're it trying does. to deal with that. It does. Like yeah. my wife set up trays in the kitchen with all the tablets I had to take and yeah. what days I had to take. They're oh, like, my wife is just egg. super organised. She's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, I didn't question what the medications mm-hmm. were for. Mm-hmm. That was all the trust I put in my oncologist to say, whatever yeah. you want me to take, I will take. I'll, yeah. I'll do what I have to do. So you're going through this period of now trying to be like, okay, well, don't have to have chemo today. It's a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to work on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously that would have been nice, but it would have been a bit strange to, I guess, readjust to non-treatment. It was. Everything like my eyebrows started to grow back. Yeah. And there was, there was some feeling of normality mm-hmm. starting to, to come back because my routine was going back to how life yeah. was. But brain fog was a massive thing that stayed with me for a very, very long time. Yeah. Well over a year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So brain fog for me was a way to explain it was to say if I was going to the shop to grab a couple of things, groceries or whatever, I would have to sit there and think, I've got to go to the shop and get milk. Okay. How do I get there? Mm. I've got to grab my wallet. Then I've got to get my keys. I've got to walk to my car. I've got to get in my car. Then I've got to drive there. And then when I get there, what do I need again? Mm-hmm. And that was, that was elements of brain fog. It was processing information and trying to remember things. Mm-hmm. That was just, mm. it made everything so hard. Yeah, I bet. Mm. 
Um, and just things that you take for granted just doing, like, in normal life. Like, you wouldn't yeah. think twice about having to go to the shops, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you at now? So we, you had to wait six weeks. What happened? Well, I, I was waiting on a call. Uh-huh. I'd had my final PET scan mm-hmm. and my oncologist said he would ring me in a week with the results because every Thursday all the doctors get together and they compare everyone's PET scan. So multiple doctors will look at your PET scan to make sure nothing's been missed or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I believe it was the 6th or the 8th of June mm-hmm. 2020 and I was waiting for a call. Mm-hmm. So my oncologist rang me and my heart was just going through the roof. I'm thinking... I did not know what to expect. But before he called, I was thinking, could I have done anything more or anything better to get through this how I did? And I thought, no, I've done everything I possibly could. Mm -hmm. So my mind at that point was to say, if it's good news, okay. If not, well, then we'll keep fighting. So he's, he's talking away to me for like, 10 minutes or so about different things. And then he says, I guess you want to know what your results are. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I would have just sat down and be like, I just don't talk. Just tell me now. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. he says, you're all clear. Yeah. <laughs> and to hear that word remission, mm-hmm. it was, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was, I couldn't describe it. Just to hear that was just like, is this over? Mm-hmm. Like, is this, you know, this hump in the road? Is this, is this past me now or what's going to happen it. here? Yeah. So yeah. my first thought after that, hearing that was, I've got to build myself back up again. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the f- I had to ring my wife and tell her straight away. Yeah, of course. Like, yes, remission, remission. I was, yeah. And a massive relief. Mm-hmm. But I still felt the fight was still going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'd looked at during treatment is to say, what's going to be a goal mm-hmm. that I'm going to do once all this finishes? And... Predominantly me, I've been a runner for many, many years. Ew, and, why? <laughs> yeah, good question. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not a runner, but it's I'm a great goal to have. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought to myself a year into a mission, I was going to run a marathon. Oofed. I'd run a mar- one marathon before. Okay, yep. Was not a good experience. Oh. I, I tore a calf 12Ks oh, in and then no. hobbled for 30 kilometres, but... Coming out of treatment and then mm-hmm. not realising how fatigue and how set back I was because I was, I was very, very fit mm-hmm. before I started treatment. Before you start any treatment, the hospital will give you an ECG and a lung capacity test. Mm-hmm. So my ECG was normal. My lung function performance test for my age, my lung capacity was 130%. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that was... And mm-hmm. being fit helped me get through treatment very well. Yeah. So yeah. some light exercise during treatment was mm-hmm. also beneficial for the effects of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And I'd run several before, mm-hmm. 
but I thought this is something within 12 months I will do that. Mm-hmm. So... And goals yeah. like that are just such a great thing for your mental health. Like They are. Especially when you've come out of a challenging time and you're okay, like, what's next? What's in the future? What's to come? To give yourself a goal like that is such a good thing to do. Absolutely. And I thought to myself is to say, well, I want something to shoot for. Mm-hmm. And this was something for mm-hmm. me, like, ultimately I'm thinking, okay, I can get back to doing more around the house so I can back mm-hmm. back to being you know a help to everybody where mm-hmm. I had nights at home going through treatment where if I had the energy at night to make my wife a coffee mm-hmm. I was chuffed like that was just so good like <laughs> yeah. yes I had the energy to get off the chair and make her a coffee because yeah. she was so busy yeah so training everything back up again mm-hmm. to say to be able to run a half marathon was Mm-hmm. That was hard. Mm-hmm. It was, I'd basically gone back to square one again with my fitness. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't going to give up. No. No. Not now. <laughs> like, come on. No, yeah, like, you know, keep, keep pushing the bar. So mm-hmm. I'd. Did you do it? I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Where? Was, which one? Where? It was a local Bravehearts at Semaphore. Oh, that's yeah. And it that's actually not far from here. it was pretty well twelve months to the day. Oh, amazing! This event happened. So I had some amazing friends that ran with me that day. I'd met yes. through running. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that event was a massive. It was a massive mental thing mm. for me. I think I. I think I cried most of the way. Mm. Yeah. Because every. I don't know, it was just every five-kilometre interval was like a month of chemo's gone, a month of chemo's gone. Mm-hmm. But the physical pain of, of running through that, that was the day where I let all that go. Yeah. That was a part of the journey was like I'm releasing it now and getting that finishes medal at the end and this part is done. Yeah. It's like healing. So, yeah. A healing half marathon. Yeah, yeah exactly. I so. Love that. I went and saw my oncologist for my yearly mm-hmm. checkup because I've been having six monthly PET scans and blood tests, mm-hmm. um, and I will have for another couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, sitting in his office, and I said, "This is what I've done," and he says, "You've done what? <laughs> goes, How could you do that?" And I said, "I just, I actually brought the medal in to show him, just to say, Aww. here's a goal I set, and yeah. he's a runner himself." Mm-hmm. So I just said, I just wanted to show you that this was something I was able to put my mind to and do it. Wasn't worried about time, wasn't worried about pace, anything like that. It was just getting it out and do it. Yeah. And completing that. I love that so much. <laughs> and I think that's such a like, you know, whether you intended it to be or not, that I feel like that was something that you was almost like a strategy for your mental health, right? Coming it was. out of that time. Yeah. It was. It was even through going through treatment, it was just a work towards. Yeah, yeah. That was more or less as, you know, it could have been, it could have been anything. Yeah. But for me, running was a passion I've had for years. Mm-hmm. And it was always sort of a stress release for me. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd get up at 5 a.m. and go running, watch sunrise. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. It's a great time of the day. I'm an it early is. riser <laughs> as well. Not to run, mind you. <laughs> Jim, yes, running, absolutely not. Yeah. So <laughs> also going through 
uh, treatment with the vulnerability that I felt coming out of it. Mm-hmm. I had a urge to learn how to defend myself because mm-hmm. I felt so weak physically mm. and mentally. Mm-hmm. So six months into remission, the gym I was going to moved and closed, um, unfortunately. So I took up boxing. Nice, yeah. And that's been a massive, mm. massive confidence booster for me. Mm-hmm. It helped me get a lot back mm-hmm. mentally and physically like I'm not a good boxer by any means. <laughs> Do you enjoy it? I enjoy it. That's great. That's it's, all that matters. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, it's, it's a good community of people we have. So Yeah. What else do you do to take care of your mental health now? I often reflect. Mm-hmm. It's, it's learning the triggers when to say you're starting to feel overwhelmed here. Mm-hmm. Um, that self-awareness piece, Self-awareness right? piece is, yeah. very, is very much like at work I have my boss is just lovely. She's an amazing lady. She really is. And she's created that safe space for me. Mm-hmm. So I know that I'm in a comfortable place. Good, yeah. And learning the triggers and then how to do with them and then being able to stand up and say, I need to step back. This is too much for me. Today Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Or you know what, today I'm actually struggling. Mm -hmm. It's being able to stand up and say that. Like I'll I'll meditate every day. Yeah. Another good one. Another good one. Mm -hmm. I do yoga now. Oh, good. Yeah. Locally? uh, uh, at home mainly. Nice. Just off YouTube. Yeah. Uh, a lot of yoga and Pilates. I did a back injury last year. Um, again, running? So, no, it wasn't <laughs> running. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've yeah. got three uh, worn discs. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's more or less strengthening everything back up now. But it's, it's, just, it's just such a massive thing yeah. for your mental health as well as physical. Definitely. And you eat pretty healthy as well, don't you? No soft drinks, I believe. No soft drinks. No, I haven't had soft drink for many years. I don't drink milk and I gave up sugar and coffee years ago. Oh, anyone who knows me, I work for a coffee company, which is owned by a soft drink company. So before I started recording, I like opened up my fridge to Alex and I was like, do you want a drink? I've got Coke, I've got Coke, no sugar, I've got lemonade, I've got sparkling water. So remember the sparkling water. We're sharing one, so yes. it's all good. That's all good. <laughs> I don't drink that much soft drink myself, but I do love a Coke, no sugar. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> so you had lots of like, you did have lots of things that came together as like a self, you know, like a mental health self-care, whether you intended it that way or not. That's how I feel, you know, like the little things like the eating and the meditation and the yoga, all these things are good for physical health but also very good for mental health. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. it's knowing, it's also knowing ourselves and when at mm. times we need to take that time away. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it takes time to learn what our triggers are and what it our does. like quote-unquote like breaking points are yeah. and just like being kind to yourself if you don't pick it up while you're learning over that process as well it's it's, and you know when we look I'll often reflect every day Mm -hmm. and I don't know if there's a stigma around that you know we've got to win every day we've got Mm. to do this and we've got to do that where I look at it as to say yeah not not every day is going to be a win Mm. but let's take a win out of every day yes I love that you know yeah that win could be 
a, a great conversation with somebody. It could mm-hmm. be a compliment that somebody gives you. It could mm-hmm. be something you've done to help somebody else. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. So much. So, and just so that I'm very clear, because I didn't actually say this yet, right? We're almost two years into remission, right? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. Yes. Good. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. You, thank feeling you. good. I am feeling good. Good. Um, yeah, definitely in a better place than mm-hmm. say what I was. It's mm-hmm. when was it? The end of 2021. I had a bit of a meltdown at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Brain fog was just. Mm. getting on top of me and I was really struggling to deal with that. So having holidays over Christmas time and taking a step back and then accepting that that had happened to me and that it was okay, it wasn't something to, that I had to try and I've got to get over and I've got to be masculine and, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it's that sort of sense. It's, it's okay to have that emotion and deal with it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If anyone's listening who's maybe going through a journey that's similar to yours, what would you like to say to them? What advice might you have for them? That it's surprising when sometimes a difficult situation or circumstance hits us that we can get through it. If we believe in ourselves, we can, we can get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not everything, because it might happen to you, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned before, it's not what happens to us that defines us, it's how we handle it that defines us. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, it can be hard to see that maybe at the time. You Absolutely. Know? But I guess, yeah, just know that, you know, you're, people, you're surrounded by people that, that want the best for you. And, oh, absolutely, you know. and definitely people around me has been mm. a massive influence mm-hmm. like people and people I've met after treatment you know I think you know the universe introduces us to good people at yeah. times in our life when we need it absolutely looking back now at everything you've been through yeah. with this journey how do you feel about this path that you've been on I'm at peace Mm-hmm. You know, it's it happened. Mm-hmm. It was something as a, a thought of to never give up. Mm-hmm. Like not every not every day is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Not if life isn't meant to be perfect. It's it's something that happens, and yeah, I I wore cancer as to say I wore it as a badge of honor as to say this is what I have. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm doing to beat it, not as a ribbon of shame. Mm-hmm. Like this has happened to me. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get through this. Yeah. And I think you've done such a good job of doing that. And honestly, like I'm quite in awe of the ability that you had to have that mindset um, through it. And I'm sure it wasn't always roses. No. But, you know, I just think it's really great to highlight how the importance of, of mindset and how, you know, you, you can learn to have a different mindset and you can work on it. And, you know, and I'm not just talking about with a cancer diagnosis, I'm talking about anything. I've had to learn how to shape my mindset in regards to my mental health so it can help us in so many different ways. Absolutely. And everyone will find their own, their mm-hmm. own way. 
Yeah. Of yeah. how of how to cope and how to handle things when mm-hmm. prevented with a hurdle. Yeah. Presented with a hurdle. Yeah. It's each to their own. Each you know, to it's their very own. Yeah. individual. It is individual and it's it's personal because we'll all take it differently mm. and we'll all process it everything differently. Definitely. Emotions will be all over the place, but we can we can get there. Now there's something else from your story that I really liked um, from your the, the notes that you'd sent me from your journal, and that was your mantra. Yes. And the mantra has three parts to it, I believe. And I would really like to invite you, if you would like, to, to share it and to read it out. Sure. Does that sound okay? Absolutely. Fabulous. So my mantra was, as Lisa mentioned, three parts as part of the mindset that I put together with getting through. And as it says, I am here. I am here in the moment. Life has presented this moment to me and it's up to me how I handle it. Still at this time, I had no diagnosis. I was worrying what would not do me any good. So I wasn't going to worry about the unknown, be in the moment and control it. I am calm. Meditating with calm as my de-stress word, relaxing, controlling my breathing to see the situation more clearly. Not always easy. After a few minutes, I was in the moment and calm, still processing all going on, but in a better place. I am me. Is where I focus on me. Who I am as a person. What are my values? What are my beliefs? I am accepting of what is going on. I am owning what is going on. I am not blaming the world, not going on as to woe as me, accepting the situation and working positively towards processing and turning my thoughts around to beating this thing, whatever the outcome. I just really loved that as well and I really wanted to be able to share that and I think it's a really sort of nice way to wrap up the episode and I just want people to take what they would like out of that and I think people will take different things but you know this is you wrote the those correct correct. yeah and writing those out and I guess thinking back over them did you say them back in your head to yourself I did if I ever felt really overwhelmed Mm -hmm. it was I'm here I'm calm on me that was just and that would just that would just de-stress. That would, yeah, focus on who I am. Yeah. Values is to say sometimes I would think it's we, we might need to ask ourselves. I don't need to ask myself today, how am I? I might know I'm having a bad day. I'm not right. I know I'm not right. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I as a person? Mm-hmm. What are my values? What are my beliefs? What am I about? Mm-hmm. What am I going to achieve? Mm-hmm. What a great tool. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I guess really from me it's a thank you to everyone that helped me along the way Mm -hmm. and the people I've met through the journey and people after I've met, after my journey that I've met that have been just a massive part of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, we can can meet people in... In unexpected places, we can go into meetings and meet some amazing people that we've, you know, we've never met before and who become great friends and great people to you. So it's 
and it's people willing to help. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to, I want to, I'm very thankful for. Mm-hmm. And we need more Heathers. We need more Heathers. <laughs> and I was, I was just thinking like, once again, a shout out to, mm. to nurses mm-hmm. in the hospitals, like especially, you know, nurses that work in the cancer wards. Mm-hmm. They've got to be on top of so much and they've got so much going on. Mm-hmm. And what they deal with on a daily basis is just, yeah, well, it's not something I could do. Yeah. So, yeah, I just I really appreciate everyone that's been with me on this journey mm-hmm. because it's not only affected me, it's affected others. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with that, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. I'm going to get you home for dinner. <laughs> I'm sure you're probably <laughs> starving. Thank you so so much um for multiple things first of all for finding the podcast yourself but not just finding it but actually reaching out to me um means a huge amount to me that you've done that and that you've given me the opportunity to hold space for you and uh, and give you the chance to help other people by telling your story so thank you for reaching out to me. Huge, massive. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Very, very grateful. And thank you for coming around on a school night (laughs) to record um, outside of both of us having full-time jobs. So very grateful that people are willing to do that. You sharing your story here today is going to help more people than you'll ever know. Like you, the ripple effect for the most part is silent. So I just want you to, I guess, take away from this that you know, we both said before we recorded we do these things so that in the hope that we help one person, just one person. Yeah. There will be many, many more. So thank you. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you sharing and everything you've been through. Two and a half years in remission. Fuck yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, and thank you, Lisa, just for everything you've done for starting this platform and for helping people on the way. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and I've enjoyed all of them. Oh, great. And it's... Yeah, it's helping people when, yeah, it's it's a big thing. It's mm-hmm. massive for you to step up and do that and truly that means a lot to me. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah, so and, and the thing for me moving forward is, yeah, to help people within this space. Like I want people in the workplace to come to work and go home safe and be okay. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully, yeah, the story will help. Definitely. So yeah. if anyone wanted to find you? Uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. So how can they find you? Full name? Full name, Alex Ferguson. Yeah. And I'll put the um, details in the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to reach out, you're happy for them to do that? Sure. Fabulous. And you guys know you can always reach out to me as well on Instagram or email, whatever you've got. Um, And I can also put you through to Alex as well. So um, feel free to reach out. Thank you all so much for joining me again for this episode. Um, Please, if you enjoy it, which I know you will, please share it. Or if you know someone who's going through something um, who might benefit from listening to it, please pass it on to them as well. That's us. So we're out of here. We're out of here. Thanks, Lisa. No worries. See you guys. See ya. Doobie. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, 
at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.